0: Welcome back to another Point of Insanity Game Studio Geekery in General podcast. I am Al, and today we're going to continue our tour of the Outer Plains by taking a look at Gehenna. Now, before we go into the topic, uh, just a quick announcement here. Now, first, I am recording this on Friday, September 1st, and earlier this week, there was a huge hurricane, uh, Hurricane Harvey that hit uh, parts of Louisiana, uh, Texas, and I believe Oklahoma was affected by this uh, hurricane as well. So there's been a tragic loss of life, uh, thousands of people displaced, looking for shelter. So uh, definitely, uh, my you know thoughts go out to the People who are affected by the storm, and I am currently doing a charity bundle on my store at Drive Thru RPG. So go to DriveThruStuff.com and look up Point of Insanity Game Studio. I'll probably be running it for about another two weeks or so. I haven't decided how long I'm going to run it, but a charity bundle featuring. Uh, sev- several of my products so any profit that I make from the sale of this bundle which is uh, $16 uh, any profit from that I will be donating to the American Red Cross to help with the uh, the relief efforts that are going to be impacting uh, this part of the United States so check it out if you're interested but, on to today's topic, and that is Gehenna, as pictured in the first edition Dungeons & Dragons supplement, Manual of the Plains. You know, it's interesting, when I was doing research for this topic, it, it was occurred to me that, you know, for all of the flack that Dungeons & Dragons received during the Satanic Panic, D&D actually drew quite a bit of inspiration from uh, the Bible as well as several religions. So I just thought that was interesting that, okay, you had these people who were saying that D&D was satanic and Dungeons and & Dragons would lead your kid into the occult when there's lots of religious imagery and motifs that have made their way into the game uh, from Manual of the Plains and 1st Edition, and uh, we even see some of that, imp- that influence going into 2nd Edition. But then, of course, 2nd Edition, they started to sanitize things a bit. So, uh, you probably notice this if you've uh, listened to my episodes I've done about some of the other places, like the Nine Hells, the Seven Heavens, Nirvana, the Abyss, and so on but Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a Greek word, and it comes from the Hebrew word Gehimon, and it refers to a real place called the Valley of Hemon. Now, this is a place where the kings of Judah may have ritually sacrificed children to Moloch. Now, there is some disagreement, though, as to whether child sacrifice really took place here now the phrasing that the bible uses is passing children through the fire some scholars have suggested that this may have merely been a dedication ceremony and it wasn't a sacrifice you know it wasn't throwing an infant into a fire so it could be burned alive another possible interpretation may be that the Valley of Himon may have been a place where people dumped garbage and dead bodies, and they, they disposed of the, the the trash and the cadavers by burning them. So this could have been the inspiration for the idea that Gehenna is a place associated with fire and death. Now, later rabbinical teachings describe Gehenna as a place similar to purgatory, in that it was seen as a place for the wicked to be purified. Now, if you go back to my episode on limbo, I mentioned that early Judaism believed that all people went to the same place after death, regardless of their deeds in life. So, didn't matter if you were a righteous and good person or an evil, wretched person, your final destination was Sheol, which was believed to be a place of darkness and stillness. And later on, Judaism did uh, evolve in its views of the afterlife. It was believed that Hades and Gehenna. May have been believed to be two different possibilities for the soul after death, where you had one idea where, you know, you had Hades or Sheol, the place for people who were wicked, who weren't quite that bad. And then you had Gehenna, which was the place for the people who did evil deeds. Now, Gehenna is also mentioned several times in the New Testament. Uh, Usually when Jesus refers to it, he's using it to describe a place opposite of heaven. Often it is used in situations where it describes where a part of the the body is lost. For example, uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 47, It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna. Now, exactly what Gehenna is understood to be does depend somewhat on the translation of the Bible that you use. Sometimes, in some translations, Gehenna and Hades are used interchangeably. But sometimes they are used in a way that shows that the translator understands them to be two separate places. Now, Muslims do have a similar belief in a place called Gehanum, and like Christian belief, it is pictured to be a place of torment. It's also similar to Dante's vision of hell, as well as the Buddhist Naraka, in that it is a multi-leveled place with people who commit the worst sins being placed at the deeper levels. Its seven layers are guarded over by angels who torture sinners and non-believers. Some of the punishments believed to exist here include fire, extreme heat and cold, being beaten with maces, and being forced to eat or drink poisonous or disgusting things. However, some Muslims believe that Jahannam is not eternal. There is one verse in the Quran that states that the fire will be your dwelling place. You will dwell therein forever, except as Allah willeth, for the Lord is full of wisdom and knowledge. Some Muslim scholars have suggested that the part, except as Allah willeth, implies that Allah could take a soul out of hell if he wanted to. And there are also some Hadith that suggest that eventually some tortured souls will be allowed to enter paradise. And there was one that even stated that eventually hell will be empty. And I can see how some Muslims may have taken that perspective because, well, if you believe that You know, Allah or God is all loving and all compassionate. Well, would he doom a soul to an eternity of torment if he was in fact all, you know, all loving and all compassionate? And I guess it kind of goes with this idea that how many people really commit enough evil deeds in their life that does make them worthy or deserving of an eternity of torment and this is a question that maybe is best addressed uh in a different format other than or rather a different forum than uh what i have on geekery in general here but it is an interesting idea to ponder and maybe it's because we as humans uh, being creatures of limited lifespan eternity is a Difficult concept for us to fully grasp. So, eh, just a little something to think about maybe when uh, you're bored someday. I don't know, sorry, just kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent from my notes. And um, in case you uh, don't know what a hadith is, I did refer to it a couple episodes ago where uh, the word hadith means something to the effect of report or narrative so, these are things that the Prophet Muhammad may have said, and or is believed to have said, but they weren't in the uh, Quran, they would have appeared in other places. Now, another belief held by some Muslims is that of al-Araf, and this translates something to the effect of the heights. Now, it's similar to purgatory in that it's not really punishment, but it's not quite paradise. It's a place for people whose good deeds balanced out with their sins. So, again, the if you consider, you know, you're a scale where on one side you've got all the good things you've done, and on the other side you've got the bad things you've done, and you know ideally you want to have it where the good things you do outweigh the bad things but the people who found themselves in al-araf uh these are people who that scale would have been uh, completely balanced now as described in the quran between them shall be a veil and on the heights will be men who would know everyone by his marks they will call out to the companions of the garden, Peace on you. When their eyes shall be turned towards the companions of the fire, they will say, Our Lord, send us not to the company of the wrongdoers. The men on heights will call to certain men whom uh, they will know from their marks, saying, Of what profit to you were your hoard and your arrogant ways? So, Al-Araf is a place where people exist on the edge of two extremes. They can see the torments of hell and be grateful that they weren't sent there. But on the other hand, they can also see paradise and they can see what they're missing. So again, it's very similar to the idea of purgatory in that it's it's like kind of like a waiting room, as these souls are believed to eventually be allowed to enter paradise, but they will be the last people to do so. Well, let's take a look at how Gehenna is portrayed in the Manual of the Planes. Now, as far as alignment goes, it's, I believe neutral evil with lawful tendencies. So this is the place where you've got that breed of evil where they're, they're in between lawful, lawful evil and neutral evil. Physically, the plane is described to be like a mountain with neither a peak nor a base. And it's on about a 45 degree angle it has been suggested that it might be a four-sided pyramid with each layer being a different side of the pyramids. Now, falls can be very dangerous here because it's said that you could fall for miles before hitting something that would allow you to come to a stop. It's also described as being hot and smoky. So this is actually a fitting match for the belief that Gehenna may have been inspired by a place that was used to burn garbage and corpses. So there's four layers. The first is Kalis, and this is described as being the most temperate of the four layers, for what it's worth. Now, of course, when you're traveling through most of the layers of Gehenna, you're going to have to worry about taking damage from heat, and fire, so you're, you're going to want to make sure that you're packing a, a ring of fire resistance or just something that's going to protect you from the heat and the smoke. Now, Kalas is described as being a hiding place for lesser devils and other creatures that have fallen out of favor or earned the wrath of a more powerful being. It's described as having rivers of boiling water from the river Styx. The next layer, Kamada, is more violent than the first layer. It's described as having huge flows of lava and anything within 10 feet of the ground is in danger because there's this thick layer of, of gas there and not only does it blind you, But anyone in this gas area, they suffer the same effect as being within a stinking cloud spell. So you fail your saving throw, you're pretty much helpless and you're going to sit there coughing and choking and basically being helpless until something kills you and puts you out of your misery or you eventually die from the the heat of the plane or whatever. The next layer is Mungoth. There's less volcanic activity here, so it is cooler than the previous two layers. The greatest danger here, though, comes from avalanches. And the fourth layer, Krangath, is the coldest layer. The fires here have all gone out. So this layer is described as being dark and cold. Now, Manual of the Plains only puts two real-world deities here. Uh, there are some uh, deities from the, like I believe, the Kobold and Orcish pantheons that are said to, revi- to, to reside here. But if we're talking about real-world mythologies, there's two deities listed here. The first is a Chinese deity named Qi Chiang. Fuya Ya. And the fiend folio describes him as being the god of archers as well as the punisher of the gods. This deity punishes people who commit acts of blasphemy against the gods, such as desecrating a temple. Now, I have to be honest, I'm not sure where they go. TSR and the people who wrote the Deities and Demigods and Ma- Manual of the Plains where they got their information about this deity. When I was doing some internet research I couldn't find the name of this deity when just doing a regular internet search. Any result I got always was talking about the Dungeons and Dragons Uh Aspect or the Dungeons and Dragons visualization for this god. Now I think it's possible that you know maybe they were using a either a different name for the god, or they they may have decided to uh, miss they may have misinterpreted uh, some other Chinese deities by accident. Now I did do a search looking for a Chinese god of archery. And I did find a little bit about a deity named Huiyi. And this is uh, unusual because this deity was known for aiding humanity rather than punishing it. Now, Chinese Buddhism does share the belief in another god, a Hindu god, Yama, who's said to be the judge of the dead and the one who administers punishments. So that's why I'm wondering if maybe they just kind of took these two deities and meshed them together, or maybe they just misinterpreted something. But it seems this, this deity would have the functions of both these, uh, these gods, Yama and, um, Huyi. But like I said, Huyi doesn't really seem like a very fitting match. Now, Yama, on the other hand, would actually make sense it was said that he was the one who would judge the dead and administer their punishments. So in that regard, he does fit in quite well with the idea of Gehenna being a place of punishment. Now, also recall that there is a belief that some rabbis uh, had that Gehenna was a place of temporary punishment. And Buddhism also does have a similar belief in Naraka, which, again, I uh, covered a bit when I was talking about Nirvana. And for those who may not have heard that episode, Naraka is a a multi-layered hell of temporary punishment, where, yes, you're going to be punished by your sins and your crimes, but you will eventually be allowed to leave that place of punishment now the other deity that uh, they place in Gehenna is Lovatar a Finnish goddess fans of the Forgotten Realms series probably recognize that name as she appears in the Forgotten Realms as the goddess of pain but if let's take a look at her real world roots she is mentioned in the Finnish epic, the Kalevala. And there she's listed as the goddess of death and mother of disease. Now, it's been suggested that she may be related to another being named Lauhi. Now, this other being, Lauhi, appears in the Kalevala as an evil witch and the queen of a land called Poholia. I'm again probably mispronouncing these so uh, I do apologize if anyone out there knows the correct pronunciations. I I said I might not be pronouncing these correctly. Now it's possible that Lauhi may have been understood as being the same entity as Lovatar because some of the Older folk poems that predate the Kalevala use Lovatar and Lauhi interchangeably. I'm not sure she belongs here though, at least when we take a look at how Gehenna is interpreted in the Manual of the Plains. But let's consider uh, the ancient Finnish belief in the afterlife. They believed in a land of the dead that was called Tuunla. It was said it could be reached by crossing a river with the aid of a ferryman, similar to Charon of Greek mythology. Now, like the way that the Greeks pictured Hades, it was seen as a place of darkness, where the dead wandered as pale shadows. As an interesting side note, Finnish translations of the Bible use Tuunla as the name for Hades. So where you you would see Hades in an English translation of the Bible, in the Finnish translation, you'll see it referred to as Tuunla. Now, this is actually fitting because, like Sheol from uh, the Hebrew Beliefs, this was seen as the destination for both good people and bad people. But again, I still don't think Lovatar quite belongs in Gehenna because she does seem to have a connection to Poholia, which was pictured as a land of cold and darkness in the far north. So it really doesn't fit with the picture of Gehenna being a place of fire and smoke. It would actually uh, seem to belong more with uh, how uh, Hades is pictured in the Manual of the Planes. And that's a that's a plane that we're going to be talking about um, in a future episode. So, how might we use Gehenna in a Dungeons & Dragons campaign? Now, I admit, I thought it was kind of tricky thinking up some ideas on how you could use it in your D&D campaign, mainly because they really don't place many notable gods here. Now, I suppose that if you are doing a Forgotten Realms campaign and if your players are dealing with the the uh, clergy of Lovatar, it's possible that you might have to travel here to uh you know do something to stop lovatar's plans, but obviously this is something that you're gonna wanna to uh reserve for a very high level campaign. Obviously, you don't wanna send a bunch of second and third level characters into the outer planes that would that would just be suicide uh, the total party kill the fourth layer though. I think does have some potential. And that's because it's described as being a place where the fires have gone out. And there have been little hints and places in the Manual of the Plains where it's suggested that the, the deities that inhabited that plain may not have been the original inhabitants. So maybe there was some other... A civilization, an unknown ancient god or pantheon that may have made their home on that fourth layer, so you could possibly play around with that. Now, I do see one option on how you can use this if you are doing an evil campaign, since Gehenna, as seen, is seen as a hiding place for creatures that angered a more powerful being you could have the party be sent here by an archdevil or a demon lord or an evil god or goddess to hunt down uh, one of these you know these beings that offended that that more powerful entity so just as a, an example maybe you're running a campaign where your players are uh, somehow involved with one of the lawful evil gods that inhabits the nine hells, well, let's say there was a a, a renegade pit fiend that did something to defy one of these arch devils or one of these evil gods and since he knew that this this evil god or this archdevil could destroy him, he may have fled to Gehenna to hide and maybe wait until things cool down a little bit. So this evil god or this, this archdevil might have the party go into Gehenna to either kill or, if you're in for a real challenge, capture this renegade pit fiend and bring him back to the Nine Hells for judgment or punishment. Well, that's about all I have to say about Gehenna for now. Get some interesting stuff in here. So even if you don't really see anything in here that you could use in your D&D campaign, again, some very interesting to think, things to think about, uh, especially when we consider uh, the historical roots of Gehenna and how it may have been a place where uh, children were sacrificed. It may have also been a place where, you know, maybe sacrifice didn't take place there but it still got a bad reputation as a place where there were always huge fires that people were using to burn uh, trash or dead bodies with that said I'd like to thank you for joining me today and have a good evening or morning or afternoon whatever it is wherever you are and happy gaming